Welcome to Heal. From multiple million dollar businesses to multiple bankruptcies and the choice of divorce after 13 years of marriage, entrepreneur Jared Bringhurst helps us tackle one of the biggest obstacles to total healing, how to heal failure. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Jared Bringhurst, welcome to Heal, the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's my honor. I'm really, 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 really excited to be doing this with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to introduce you. I'm like, I mean, <laughs> I, I was, I've been thinking about this for two days and I've been like, well, he's an entrepreneur, but that does not even begin to sum it up. Like, and, and that's not really, we don't have to. I know, you know, who you are is going to come through strong through our conversation here, but father of two extraordinary girls, uh, yep. kick-ass family, and you've run, sold, left, had to walk away from <laughs> numerous businesses yeah. your time. And my recollection of the story. So when did you actually start your first business? Were you eight? Yeah, I was, yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, I've been hustling my parents since I was born, but well, yeah. the first time I actually exchanged money was, I was about eight years old and you know, we kids used to sell lemonade. We'd sell lemonade cookies and a couple other things. And I learned very early on, you know, we used to stand out on this street called Vine Street. It was a two-way street, but it was pretty busy. It wasn't like a normal residential street. And I found out, you know, I was holding the sign and doing the whole thing. And I, I figured out, man, when I step in the middle of the street a little bit, because I was just trying to make my friends laugh, the cars would stop. And, you know, we had this guy stop. He pulls over and yells at us. Get out of the street. You guys have got to get out of the street. You cannot do that. You know, we're a bunch of eight-year-old kids. Yeah. But then he bought something. And I was like, hmm. All right. <laughs> so, so the next time the guy takes off, I stand back in the middle of the street with my sign. Boom. Adult after adult after adult yells at us. But they bought something. And that, that was the beginning of it. And I went from everything from that to, I used to get excused from school early because I had a card shop at the end of my driveway and I'd go to, to Sam's or Costco and my dad, and I used to love collecting sports cards and I'd buy boxes of sport cards and then I'd flip them. Cause you could get, let's say a box of 20 cost two bucks a pack. I could flip them for four or five bucks a pack. So I was making hundreds of dollars a month, five, six, 700 bucks a month. And you would a, leave school early to be able yeah, to go run your business. I got my parents to get me a note to get out of school like five, 10 minutes early so I could run home and set up my car shop until, you know, I also got massively bullied growing up until the kids mm. decided like, wait, he's a skinny little runt with all these things. And they took my cards. But I, I remember I begged my dad to build me this super fancy permanent card shop in our front yard. He was like, no, I'm not doing that. So I'd roll a table out and yeah, all that I've done every kind of business you can think of, but really seriously, I haven't had a job in 20 years. I've done real estate, wholesale, I've done retail, I've done flipping homes, I've done developments, I've done, my last company was a window company and we sold a little over 20 million in five years and then turned my company over to my franchise. Or like you said, I've also gone broke twice. I've lost everything a few times, houses, cars, investments, money, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah all the things that we have to go through in this world. Like, I, you know, at one level, I feel like this is sort of a broken record statement, except that I think we can't really grapple with it enough to make it real, which is like every single person in my life I know who's really successful is because they've been willing to face and go through and deal with failure more 
than yeah. most of the rest of us. And like, yeah, I just, it, it's like, I, I think you and I talked about this before and I'm going to get the details wrong, but fortunately Kendra, our producer will get it all straightened out and put it in the show notes perfectly. <laughs> but the gentleman who created the Marvel comics, apparently mm-hmm. my recollection is he had a lifetime of like, you know, being quite frankly, yelled at, picked on and looked down upon for being in comic books, especially I think it started in like the 50s and the 60s. And this was like not considered an adult thing to be doing at all. And comics were for kids. And there was like this whole world around him, most of his career of a stigma about it. And he just kept moving forward, kept moving forward. And then in his 70s was the first time that a Marvel movie went blockbuster. And the headlines read an overnight success. Yeah, yeah. And he was yeah. like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, this whole lifetime, this whole world of everything that we do up until that point. And so, you know, and I, I grapple with it too. Like you and I have talked about the difference between a business owner and self-employed and like, really I'm self-employed. Like I've never, I don't have employees. Like I employ myself and I haven't had a job. The last job I had was, I think working as a ski instructor at Snowbird Ski Resort when I was 20 years old. That yeah. was like to pay the bills. And I worked as a waitress alongside of that. And that was the most corporate job I ever had was working for Snowbird Corporation. Like otherwise I was a raft guide and I've been a barista, but otherwise it was, there was just All no way I was going to work for anyone else. Yeah. yeah. But with that comes this world of in the beginning, what felt like on a daily basis, it was 80% confront of I'm going to fail. I am failing. This is never going to work out. What the heck am I thinking? And then at some point yes. I got more and more traction. Now I don't have those thoughts as often. As often. Yes. <laughs> until I do comment. Yep. Yeah. So what I see is the opportunity for this conversation is how do you do it? How do you bounce back? Or is that the right word? Like, can you heal failure? Can you, what does that actually even mean? You know, this podcast is about how do we heal? And we've talked about all kinds of things in the physical realm, the emotional realm, the spiritual realm. We dabbled a little bit about people's relationship to money and how similar what people deal with around money is a lot of what they deal with in health. Actually, there's a big correlation there, but what we haven't looked at is this, this thing that looms in all of our lives in many different areas, not just finance or career, but is failure. Yeah. What say you about that, Jared? <clears throat> well, I think there's a couple of things. I don't relate to it as bouncing back, first of all, because that would dishonor everything I learned from the quote unquote failure. Hmm. So I, I just look at it as, look, uh, the only way I really relate to myself is like, it's a real failure. It's actually like, oh man, that's a crime is if I don't build from it. And I think about this in relationships, you know, I <laughs> talk more about it in the middle of a divorce, we got COVID. I lost my dad two years ago. Suddenly I lost my business in February. So in the last two years, I lost my dad. I went to dinner with him on a Tuesday or a Thursday, lost him on my birthday on Monday. I COVID hit, turned over my franchise, my franchisor, got divorced, moved out, you know, like created a whole new business built in the middle of COVID on zoom yeah. while raising my kids at home because they couldn't go to school. That's a lot to deal with, but I just feel like, let's say my real estate, I had millions of dollars of real estate. I had a development with eight townhomes, commercial project, I think three spec homes, which means we were building them with the, the intention to sell them for more, a couple rentals, the house I lived in, 
and one that we were doing like a fix and flip. So all of that at 27, 28 years old. Mm-hmm. And then the market crashed and I lost everything. I mean, my wife was pregnant with our first kid. I mean, I, I pulled up to my house one day and thought that my lawn had gotten aerated. So there was a sign in the front, you know, the signs they put when they do it. And I yeah. pulled up closer. And I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. That's a foreclosure notice. <laughs> and I walked in my soon to be ex-wife was upstairs showering. She didn't even know I was home. I walked in my basement and cried so hard that for the first time ever, I was like afraid I might hurt myself. Yeah. And I called my dad, my dad's. Uh, so like I said, my dad passed, but my dad was the guy. My, my dad's the guy, the guy you call. Like he might, no matter what's going on with my dad, you call him, he's there, period, end of story. So I called him and he came over, made me feel better. And I'll never forget a couple of days later, losing everything, drove my titanium silver 2006 M3 order from Germany, just for me, my dream car back to the bank, lost everything, moving into our friend's basement for free because I couldn't afford anything. And I was driving my dad's Acura because I was borrowing it and I was pulling onto the freeway. And I remember the sun coming up and I was like, oh my God, I'm free. So all of that hardship could have been a failure. Like, Oh my God, I'm never going to do this again. I can't ever get back in the game. I'm what it happens if I do it again, I felt bankruptcy on my 30th birthday. Birthdays are a little trip. So 30th birthday <laughs> felt bankruptcy. My 39th birthday, my, my pops passed away, but I, I realized the lesson was I was building all this for the wrong reason. I was trying to get stuff to fill some hole in my heart. I was trying to mm-hmm. fill, get stuff. Like I still love cars. Don't get me wrong. It's not like forget cars. I want a million cars now. I just don't want them because I think something's wrong with me. I want them because I love great machinery. I love driving fast. I love racing. I love the, the, all the different things. Me and my car people always talk. Like if somebody asks you what your favorite car is, you know, that's not a car person. Cause that's like a foodie being like, what's your one favorite food? It's like, whoa, wait, no. are we talking Italian? Are we talking Mexican? What's the ambiance? Who's what the restaurant? chef? Yeah, yeah It's like an anxiety yeah. producing question when you're uh-huh. a car person. Like, I don't, what do you mean one? That's an inappropriate question, you know? Right. And so I, I, like, it's okay to do all that. And now it just doesn't drive me. I don't have to have it. Yeah. And that day was the lesson. So going back to the failure, how do you get through it is I build on top of it. I think when people say, oh man, like my, I've been married for 13 years. I've been together with her for 16. My conversation is not, oh my God, I'm starting over. Do you know how horrible that would be if I was starting over as a 25-year-old? I'm 41. Mm-hmm. That dishonors the 16 years I've learned, the 16 years I've built, what it is to be a dad of a 10 and six-year-old girl, the business I've built. So I'm now dating with all of that new information. Do you know how empowering that is? Mm-hmm. I get to be the human that I missed and all the things I missed in our marriage. And I love Jamie. I love her so much. And we chose, hey, we're going different paths. It's been hard as hell. It's been the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And as you know, I've talked to you a lot about it, but in the process, we're honoring each other. And I know we're going to end up as friends and I know we're going to end up as great co-parents. And I know, I mean, she lives in the same apartment complex as me. Yeah. She lives 200 yards from me so we could raise our girls close together. And if I didn't take that into dating and learning the things that I did that didn't work for me Mm -hmm. and her, my piece in all of how the the divorce went in what I did financially and the going broke and the impact that has on people. And, you know, then I think that would be a failure. So how do I deal with it? 
I just make sure that I learn from it. And then the second piece that I think is probably how I get through the stuff the most is I always look at how is this chapter in my book going to make a difference for other people? Like, okay, I went broke. That sucks for me. Okay. Yes, I can make it through. Yes. I'm going to learn the lesson, but then I'm like, okay, how can I share this? So somebody else gets value that I think really is the thing that heals me the most and brings the most healing is when I can share my story and have somebody else go, Oh man, okay. I'm going to be okay. Oh, Jared went through that. I'm going to be okay. And that's the most healing time is when I get to share that. Yeah. It's so dead on to what the whole theme we've had in the conversations of heal, because when I originally set out to create this podcast, one of my intentions was to share the good, but really the bad and the ugly, the like, like actually vomiting your way through this is normal. And, you know, this is when you have flares of an autoimmune disease, what you actually have to manage for. And like, because then people get their own humanity in a new way and they can actually like relax. And I think we have, you know, we have a looking good culture. We have, and I don't know that we ever haven't, I wasn't alive a million years ago or a thousand years ago. So I have no idea, but my general understanding is human beings have been pretty driven towards making sure that to our outside fellow man, it looks like we have it all together all the time. And yet what corrodes us on the inside emotionally. And I've even seen physically into diseases is these secrets and these withheld shame ridden failures and experiences because, well, I can't say because really my suspicion and what I've learned from like sociologists like Brene Brown, she does a ton of work around shame and vulnerability Mm -hmm. and, you know, what it is to live what she says, wholehearted living. And what I think you said is a really big deal about like, how can I share this in such a way it's going to make a difference for people. And that's like bringing something that could have been a buried experience of shame, which we now know festers and causes all kinds of internal problems, emotionally and physically where shame is like, I'm bad. And guilt is like, I did something bad. And shame yeah. is I want to hide it and I don't want anyone to know. And we leave it in these dark crevices in, in like our spaces of our psyche. And if we can bring light and shed light on it, most of the shame actually dissipates. And you start to, I mean, it's like at one level, you just sound so empowered. You just skirted right over the top of like, yeah. And then I went broke twice. <laughs> and like yeah. Those are such significant things for so many people that they can never admit. They don't even always tell their spouses about, they don't tell their family members about and I think that piece of, you know, and I'll also say sharing it with wisdom. This doesn't mean that you went out and posted your dirty laundry on Facebook, like instantly, you know, yeah. I do know you actually are really active on social media and you crafted shares and you actually thought about how yes. you could. And another thing I know about you is you move fast around it. Like you don't give it time to fester. You don't let it sit for very long. I mean, I don't know the timeline yeah. you could tell me, but like, you and Jamie shared about your divorce publicly on social media within, you know, six weeks or so, I want to say of like, when you guys were really clear, that's what was happening. Yeah. When we, from the time we told our kids to sharing, it was a month from the time her and I were crystal clear with six weeks. And from the time we were kind of dealing with stuff was a couple months, but the, the intention there was a couple fold. And you said a couple of really great things that I, I just think about is, I learned, so when I first went broke in real estate, I was having panic attacks before I went broke. 
I mean, I remember when Jamie and I first got together, I'd, I woke up in the middle of the night once at like two or three in the morning and walked to the park and had an absolute anxiety attack, panic attack. I didn't know that's what it was at the time. Crying hysterically, bent over, like the whole thing. She had no idea what was going on. And why that happened was because I was hiding it from people. Mm. I was hiding the true nature of what was going on. I was hiding what was actually happening. You know, so that that is incredibly impactful. And I learned over time, if I'm the first person that's willing to say it and tell the truth, it's going to free me up and nobody will be able to, like, I have all the power over me literally now in life. And this has been 20 years of practice. There's nothing anybody can say to get me. Yeah. Cause I've already said it Yeah, and I'm willing to say it. So what I got from all that is like the, the lessons you've learned or the things you've created is part of how you heal from failure is really more about like the context you put it in, like what it, what it means to you. And what I'm hearing is like, you see, okay, this horrible, which we could decide whether or not it really is horrible thing happened to me or happened. What am I going to do about it? And that one of your access points is, is like how it now can be a contribution to others, which I can see how that takes something that would seem invaluable and immediately turns it in by shifting the context to something that's now valuable. It's valuable to you. It's valuable to other people. It's this like difference making opportunity, opportunity, which is probably some of the root of you being an entrepreneur since you were in the womb. And, you know, it's because you, you, that's your outlook on, on the world is like, what's the next opportunity? What's the next opportunity? And that's some of how that's get shaped, you know, and we talked about how shedding light on things that we has, you know, typically think of as shameful is actually where the liberation. And I would say the healing comes from now, how do you determine who to share with? Cause like, that's a whole thing. Yeah, it's not necessarily who, but more what and at what time. So mm-hmm. the first thing I look at and the the first thing I look at is I don't want to damage anybody else in the process. So right now when I'm going through a divorce and there's certain things that are hard and there's, you know, moving on and going through it, no matter what happened in the marriage, no matter who wanted the divorce or how it went, it's hard. It's been hard for me. It's been hard for her. So what I share about my divorce publicly, number one is, am I, am I at a place where I can honor all the people involved, my kids and my soon to be ex-wife. And if I can't do that, I won't share it yet because I'm also not going to torch somebody else because I feel like sharing. I feel like I've got the right. I don't want to do that. The second thing is, is I share things as soon as possible. So I'm different too, though. You know, Jamie likes to be a little bit slower about those things. Like you said, I handle things very quickly. I go through things very fast. My last business, I lost it. I literally, similar thing, cried in the corner of my empty office. It was my dream office. It was the coolest office ever, ever, ever. You know, like I said, a twenty over 20 million in sales in five years and lost it all. And I cried one night and then two days later started a solar company because I think I'm really really good at getting the reality of things and then dealing with the impact. And I think this is the other part that really helps me is I know every single thing that happens in my life, as long as I keep moving forward and I don't clam up and get 
more resigned and cynical about life. Like in a divorce, it's easy to be like, well, women are this way and I'm never going to date another one of those. I'm never going to blah, blah, blah. But then I'm just calling into my life all that crap and I'm listening for it and looking for it. And if you're listening for it and you're looking for it, guess what you're going to find? And you're going to find it. So versus doing that, I just go, oh man, really appreciate everything we've been through. I love that woman so much. I respect her. I think she's one of the best human beings on the planet. I think whoever ends up with her is going to be one of the luckiest people ever. And we're not creating our life together anymore. So we're moving on. And I know looking back, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened. I already feel that way about it. I already feel that how my life is going up till now, businesses, relationships, my father passing, Winnie passed, the stuff we've dealt with. My mom, my mom had breast cancer. I tell my mom and we say in my family, the best thing that ever happened to my family is my mom having breast cancer. Who the hell says that? Yeah. Well, here's why I say it. We were all a little bit checked out as a family. We did the normal stuff, the Christmas, the blah, 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 but kind of going through the motions. Well, guess what snapped us out of that? And my dad and everybody into boom, my mom gets breast cancer. We all come together. We didn't miss a chemo appointment. My dad all of a sudden is super attentive to my mom, cooks everything, cleans everything, doesn't complain. He's not being edgy. He's being happy. He's making sure nobody puts anything in her space. My brother and I are coming together. We're closer. Everybody comes closer in my family because my mom had breast cancer. All right. Well, where's the blessing in the hard things? I think there's blessings in every single hard thing. We did the same thing when my dad died. I love that about my family. A lot of people fight over objects and things like that. My family got closer. My sisters got closer. My brother got closer. My mom got closer. And that's, I think, really important to live is, you know, what's the blessing? What's the, the thing? And I think that helps people heal is when you get stuck in this victim mentality of like, oh, what was me? I'm getting divorced. What was me? I lost my business. What was me? I went broke. Oh, I'm never going to do that again. Oh, it's so hard versus now, there's probably some lessons to learn here if I if I get back up and, and start moving forward. It's like falling off a bike. Yeah. And I really do treat all of life like a game. Hey, this is a game. Business is a game. All right, I'm creating a business. Cool. I'm going for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and hit this one over the fence. Oh damn, I missed. Okay, well, get back up and swing again. Oh, I went to hit one over the fence called Be Married for the Rest of Your Life. Missed that one. All right, I'm 41. I could be depressed and never take a swing again. Or I can get back out and go, all right, I learned all these things about honoring myself and, and not betraying what I really believe and, you know, honoring women and my daughters and what it is to be in a relationship and what worked and what didn't work. And now I get to take all of that on to the next time I, I'm at the plate again. In business, I learned about cash flow management and building a business too fast. And there is such thing as selling your way out of business. And there is such thing as making sure that you don't grow too fast and making sure you're prepared for it if you do and not over leveraging yourself and all these things I learned. The crime would be if I didn't take all the stuff I learned in relationship, all the stuff I learned in business, and then I packed it in a closet, dark away, yeah. and then went and got a job and never dated again. That's yeah. what is soul sucking to me. Like, what? No. I got to go put these tools back into play. And I think that's the most healing thing for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, what are we calling the failure, right? Like the event that happened, the incident when yeah. you lost your business or when you, you know, said, let's get a divorce or is that the failure or is the failure the, what we do after that potentially, right? Like that's where yeah. it can come from. And like looking at my own life, I can see where 
you know, I have much more of a tendency to regret than resentment. It's just, however, my brain formed or the family I grew up in, like I tend not to get all over blaming other people for the stuff that happens in my life. No, I blame me <laughs> like to yeah. usually the nth degree and where a lot of my healing and my personal growth over the years has been, has been in that area of self-forgiveness and being easier on myself, not being so hard on myself. Like I've had people who I consider like incredibly high performers, people who live like extremely incredibly awesome, powerful lives. Look at me and they're like, Sarah, you're really hard on yourself. And I'm like, if that person is telling me I'm okay, cool it. Right. And that's, that's been one of the biggest challenges. And I, last year, maybe two years ago now, I did a silent meditation retreat and I'm still forever blown away at the amount of transformation I can get from sitting on a cushion doing nothing for eight days. But like, literally that's what we did. (laughs) And you know, there are teachings, there are things that the, my, at that time, Anam Tupton was my teacher. You know, he is a Buddhist Lama and he would, he would kind of read the room, which is also amazing to read the room of a group of silent people sitting on cushions all day long. And he would come up with these teachings for us. And, and we were working through, these different, what, what are called the poisons. And it's like anger, hatred, pride. There's like a handful of them in the Buddhist tradition. And he literally was like, I want you to pick one. And then I want you Mm. to spend the next 40 minute meditation diving into it, like deeper, not avoiding it, like going all the way in and cranking up your emotion about it. But then in the meditation, Mm. bring peace, bring awareness, bring wisdom, bring emptiness, which is like that space of like letting things be as they are. So he went through the whole, there's five of them. And one of them was envy. And what was interesting Mm. is I actually was looking at them all and I was like, envy, I'm not a jealous person. Like I don't have envy. Like so interesting because you were actually a part of this meditation, which totally cracks me up now that we're having this conversation. It's probably why I thought of it. (laughs) So I'm sitting there And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to look at envy. And for 40 minutes, I dove in and I let myself like crank up the volume on where there's jealousy. And what I uncovered were there were a handful of my friends who had been married in their twenties and had children and Mm. had successful businesses. And I had this, I mean, it kind of brings emotion to me now. Like I had this world of, they have what I want and I'll never have it. You know, my ship has sailed. I already, I got a divorce three years after I got married, you know, and like that, that I'll never get to be the person who married in their twenties and stayed together forever and built, you know, this life. And, you know, you and your marriage and your family were one of those people that I was looking at and in the process. And this is the magic of meditation. And I I don't even know, I'm not, I wouldn't even consider myself good at meditation, but this is what happened is I did that and I looked at all of it and like out of nowhere, this really wise voice was like, so what if you never divorced your husband? Are you willing to give up all the experiences of life that you've had since your divorce that you would have never had? Now, like, I know I would have had different ones, but then I had to like, and I made myself actually look in reality, like John and I got a divorce in April of 2011 And then that summer I went and spent a month working as a pathology professor in Samra, Costa Rica. And I got paid to live in Costa Rica and like teach massage therapy students about pathology. And then I went and I started to build what I thought was going to be an alternative hospital in Cancun. And I spent two years working on that project where we were, it ended up going bust speaking of failures. 
And I'm pretty sure there was no hospital. And there's a small chance that the person was actually siphoning investors money offshore because none of us had ever seen it. But for two years, I had lived in this possibility of running a nutrition center in a destination hospital in Cancun, Mexico. And I got to go down there and live for free and like build all these relationships. And then I looked at my relationship with my former Manu and his two girls. And, you know, I had this insane, amazing romantic relationship. And of course, this is the moment that the garbage truck is right out the front of my house. And so there's going to be some noise in the background (laughs) (laughs) on that note. But, you know, I got to have this incredible romantic relationship with Manu where we were creating a relationship across 6,000 miles. He lived in the Netherlands. I lived in the United Mm -hmm. States. We were going back and forth. My whole life grew to be global. And I had these two incredible girls and his whole family. I'm like, I had to face sitting on that cushion. Would I give all that up? Just so that I could say I didn't fail at being married. Like that was the Mm -hmm. hook that was there for me. And facing that. Well, I think the other thing about failure is the way I see it. And I've gotten this from the work that I've done with Landmark, but the actual definition of failure fail is that you didn't reach a goal you wanted. So look, did I get married to get divorced? Of course not. But so what? I mean, any drama attitude I'm adding, is there stuff to be responsible for with my kids? For sure. Is there upset and going to take a little while to heal? For sure. Do different people heal and grieve differently? Absolutely. I'm somebody who, when I go through something, I don't know. I don't know if this is healthy or not. You'd have to ask a therapist, but this is what I do. The second (laughs) I knew we were getting divorced, I started envisioning my soon-to-be ex-wife with other people, Hmm. married, another person around my kids, my kids coming home and being happy that this other person is more fun than me because likely they will be at first. Because people are more fun when they're trying to impress you. My girls being like, well, I want to be with so-and-so. All of those, that world that at the time was like, I wanted to throw up, but I dealt with it. I looked out in the future, like, what are the things that are going to trigger me so that I don't get triggered? Because I want to authentically be happy for Jamie when she brings somebody home. I created this whole thing, what we did, about us being one family, not two families. So when she gets in a relationship, cool, then I'm in a relationship with that person. I don't care. As long as they're good with my kids and good with her, great. I'll support it. I'll do whatever I have to do with my own personal development to mm-hmm. be good with that. And part of my process is, and it was the same thing when I grieved my dad. When my dad died, it was hell for six months. But I went through the, he's never going to be there for that. He's not going to be there for my kid's wedding. He's not going to be there in this way. And then it kind of brought all the stuff up so I could deal with it. I could grieve it appropriately. I could let it up and out. And now... All I do is have appreciation for my dad. When I'm, when I'm sad about my dad, I'm happy I'm sad because I don't want him to go away. When I have dreams about my dad, I'm happy I had a dream even though I wake up sad and miss him. When I think about him, I'm happy because I don't want my dad to go away from me out of my existence. So it keeps it present for me. And the same thing with my divorce, the same thing with my business is, okay, I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to have to start over again. All these people, blah, 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 the money, the debt, the people I owe money to, I just play it all out. And you know what's crazy is every single time the worst case scenario is not that bad. Yeah. It's just not like, all right, I'll start a new business or I'll get a job. The worst case scenario is I go get a job. I'm highly marketable. Fine. Okay. That's not that rough. The worst case scenario is it takes us a little while to get over this. I probably will date again, but the absolute worst case scenario is I don't get married again. Okay. 
Okay, I've got my two daughters. I got a as wife. having spent much of the last eight years single, I can attest that like there's a lot <laughs> of amazing things about that, you know. And I, yeah. I even I went through like phases over the years of regret and upset and make wrong, and then I lived in this funny paradoxical universe of like I knew John and I should have gotten a divorce. I knew that made sense. I just didn't think I should be a divorced person. <laughs> there was like this, like mm. you know, and it was really what I was holding that about myself, you know, like, like that I, 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 all my levels of like, I should have been able to figure it out. I should have been able to do something different, you know, Mm. that whole thing. And God, there's like nine things I want to say about what you were just sharing. One of which though, is a tool for people is what you're speaking to. And I keep bringing up Buddhism in this episode, but here we are is a practice that Pema Chodron, who's phenomenal author and think she's a Buddhist monk. I think that's her actual designation, wrote a book called The Places That Scare You. And it's Mm -hmm. an illumination of a practice called Tonglin practice. And in Tonglin, you intentionally shine light. You you go, you know, the, the proverbial thing is you go sleep in a cemetery, is you literally intentionally go have the thoughts the concerns. Now I want to put the caveat, you know, this is inside of like a framework of a healthy mental outlook in life. You know, if you know that who you are as a person that deals with depression and it's not managed yet, and it's not, this wouldn't necessarily be the go-to tool to use, you know, because you could have some imbalances that spin out, but generally speaking for most of us, it's actually a really powerful thing is to lean into the worst case scenario to actually let ourselves play it out. And in some of the other work that I've done around emotional intelligence, there's a woman who says that anxiety is just undefined fear. Hmm. And so many of us are running around with anxiety. It's like, you know, they, they now with the way that social media operates, we can actually track the words people are using. And we've seen an increase in the word anxiety over the last 10 years, like exponentially, in addition to what therapists are actually diagnosing in their patient populations, which are also going up, you know, anxiety has just been this huge thing. And I think as a culture, we have a practice to turn away from the things that are, we're afraid of, to not look them in the face, to not actually play out the worst case scenario, to not actually deal with it. And so we live in an illusion of if this thing happened, my whole life would end. Everything would be terrible. And it keeps us in this stricken state of anxiety. Whereas in Tong Lin practice or what you basically were doing is this turning inward and looking, okay, like, let me play it out. My ex-wife, soon to be ex-wife now with a new partner. And what is that going to be like in the first Thanksgiving we have and the first time we get together and having to have the conversations with my daughters and like letting yourself move through those spaces and then say, and now what, and now what, and now what, and now what? And there's actually a lot of wisdom in healthfully allowing yourself to go through those spaces. Cause I think so much of what I know what stops me is an illogical connection that if I fail, there's going to be a loss of love. It took me a while to figure that out. I wasn't actually afraid of losing money. I wasn't afraid of losing clients. Really. I wasn't afraid. It's like even launching the podcast, which was a huge thing. I've had some of my own stuff around going public, just the willingness to be seen on a public level and what comes with it, the potential criticism, judgments, me saying the wrong things, me quoting stuff that's not scientifically accurate, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And then having the pushback from the community 
what really gets me is when I think it's like, I'm going to find out I'm right. that people don't really like me. I'm going to find out I'm yeah. right that, you know, they don't really, you know, they might respect me, but they don't actually love who I am as a person. And those like threads, I don't know. That's like something I made up at four years old, probably on the playground as an upset, you know, toddler trying to figure out life. Yeah. I think the other thing that hit me and what you just said was the, the avoidance of failure. Like if you just get related to it is like a kid. Can you just imagine a kid riding a bike and they fall a couple of times and you're like, quit, quit. You're going to get made fun of. It's going to be too hard for you. You're never going to do this. What, what if someone sees you? What if you get really hurt? What if you break your arm? What if you break your leg? What if you crack your head open and die? What if, 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 yeah, quit riding that bike. Don't do that. You're not, you don't really need to ride a bike anyways. I mean, you can, you know, ultimately you're going to drive the car as it is. Yeah. Look, Uh we got Uber, you don't, yeah, forget (laughs) driving. That's also very dangerous. And, but that's how people live their life inside of love, inside of career, inside of money, inside of these things that are not, it sounds so ridiculous when you say that about riding a bike, but go, I can, I can tell you thousands and thousands and thousands of people, you know what they tell me? Don't ever get into business with family. What? Cause you have one business relationship in your family go bad. That means about my brother, my dad, my mother, like the projection is insane or women. Yep. I can't even tell you how many people, Oh bro, just wait. Women are so emotional. Like, wow. That's quite the statement. Mm-hmm. No shit. First of all, what you're not, you're, you're a robot. Like what kind of comment is that? that we put on people, but then we do it to ourselves of, Oh wow. If I go broke, then what are people going to think? I can't do that. And I'm never going to do it again. And I can't get back in the game. And Oh, what if I fail twice? And then man, I'm really going to look stupid. And I can't tell you how many times I put ridiculous goals out there and I tell everybody I'm going to do it. And then I miss, I told everybody I was going to sell $10 million worth of windows this one year. We did six. All right. Well, guess what? I sold 6 million in windows. Nobody else did. And the year before it was what, like two something. So you like, uh, we went from 3.4, 3.5, something six. like that. Yeah, six. so you doubled. Absolutely. Yeah. But the the view of so what is missing. Like, okay, yeah, my wife and I said we were going to be together. I can't tell you how many people, like, they justify their own bullshit relationships with my wife and I now. And here's what they say. I thought you guys had the perfect relationship. It's so relieving. No, you didn't. No, we did. And now we're completing it. Yeah. Was there stuff that didn't work and stuff I can see for myself for sure. But that's only looking backward. I'm only looking backward and saying, Oh yeah, I can see all these things missing, but who's to say that's the truth. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just making up stuff that empowers me to move on in life. And yeah, we had a hard time. We also had a beautiful marriage. We have beautiful kids. We were kick-ass parents. We got along really well. We conversed through things and it's so funny to watch people go, Oh, Oh, look, and kind of validate their own experience of life where I'm like, why don't you go validate anybody? That's not my wife. And I promised when we, in our wedding vows that we will always honor our highest and best expression. Even if we're not together, we said in our vows, even if that means not being together, well, guess what? Now we're not together because it honors our highest and best expression. And that's what we're going to do from her side and mine. And given that's happening, I'm happier than I've ever been. Yeah. I'm more free than I've ever been. I'm more confident than I've ever been. And I don't, but I also don't need to villainize her to do that. 
I don't need to villainize her and make her wrong. She, she's the biggest contributor to that over my 16 year marriage and my kids and everything we've been through and how much she stood by me and going broke twice and loving me and, you know, the death of family members and friends and hard things and celebrations. I don't need to villainize it. That's the other thing. Oh God, you got me on a rant now, but that's the other thing. <laughs> people right. think people think to end a relationship, they have to villainize the other person or to end a business partnership. You have to villainize the other person. They must yeah. be horrible for me to justify leaving. To justify it. No, she's a, yeah, she's a beautiful human being. She's going to make somebody super happy. She's an incredible mom. She's like very strong. She's one of the strongest women I've ever met. She's a therapist. She's going to make a difference. And guess what? That's not what we're creating for the future. I don't have to say anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to justify getting divorced. And that's Anybody. something like how you've even been talking about it in this last, you know, 30 minutes is really striking because I think even still I would hear people, they would honor their partner, but they would still come up with some justification like, well, we're just not compatible or blah, blah. Right. And you actually, I mean, I'm pointing this out because it's easy to miss what's not being said. And you you don't say that. That's not how you talk about it. You just say, and we're creating something new and we're creating something different. Yeah. And we created that, then we completed it. And now we're creating something new. And sometimes that approach to me, I sometimes think like, oh my God, these people are being so robotic. But as lived in my own life and when I apply that to my own life, it is the most clean, most empowering thing ever is to be able to just say, I chose this until I didn't. And now I'm choosing something else. Cause actually that's the closest thing to the truth. I mean, we try and come up with reasons and stories and justifications around all kinds of different things that we did that neuroscience will tell us mostly we're full of crap because <laughs> that's not even how our brains work or what actually is happening. And it's, it's just, you know, I mean, yeah. human beings are storytellers and it's a lot of the fabric of our culture. It's a lot of the fabric of our survival. I love it. This whole podcast is people sharing and telling their stories, but there's something so empowering about being able to speak so cleanly about the events that happened in our lives and not add that means I'm a, this kind of person, or that means they're this kind of person. Cause then we're trapped and stuck in all that. And then that's the life we've got to live. Yeah. It's like, it gets you handcuffed to the bed of that decision. And then you're stuck with it. You're the one dragging it through life. Not, not me or them. You're the one that has to drag that interpretation. And look, I also don't want to be airy fairy about this. Right. Jamie and I have been through hell. We fought, we've argued, we've, you know, been through where I've said nasty things about, well, this is why we got divorced and you did this and this and this. Here's the thing I'm proud of though. I'll apologize. Hey, I'm sorry. That didn't honor what I said, which is we make divorce look good. I'm committed to honoring you. But then I've also, there's also things that have been hurtful. Moving on is hurtful. I'm moving on. That's hurtful. And I'm not doing it on purpose, but there's also a level of, I'm going to honor myself, but also honor her. I'm not going to put things in her space on purpose, but I'm also going to honor myself. And how do you hold the space for somebody being upset and then not rearranging your life to make them okay? That's another thing that I've learned and really healed in myself because my whole life has been given by, if you're upset, I'm going to do whatever I can to have you not be upset. Yeah. I'm going to obsess about it. I'm going to think about it. I can't sleep over it. If you're upset, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I can feel it and it's mine and I get worried. And one of the things that's actually healed is I can be with somebody's upset. I can be sad they're upset. And I don't have to take it on for my own. 
mm-hmm. and I don't have to make it mean I have to change my life to fix it. And then I can just authentically look what's right for me. What am I creating? What do I want? And then I can still be great with them. The other thing is another, another time I don't have to make her wrong to justify what I'm doing. Because if you do, you probably aren't being clean. Like if you think you have to justify your own actions, well then why? What, what is, what is inconsistent? I don't have to justify anything. This is just what I'm creating and I can hold space for the upset and I can, I can be great with her or try to, you know, the times that I'm not, I try not to be, you know, and I try to clean it up. So I just don't want to paint a picture like her and I are going through some happy valley of rainbows and (laughs) unicorn parts, you know, like that's not, that's not it. And we keep returning ourselves to being, you know, conscious and creating. And we do create, like once we're healed, we really do want to create a best friendship. Once the, the grief on both sides is healed, once all of the stuff that's happened is healed, I do think Jamie and I will be best friends. And I do think we'll raise an incredible family together. And I do think, you know, when we're both in other relationships, I think we'll both come together and be happier. I just do. Yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, the, the not Pollyannaing it and it's, it may seem like we're saying the same thing, but there's, there's something, and I can only say for the listeners is like, you just got to try this out and discover it for yourself is the difference between like positive affirmations and mantras on top of pain and incompletion and resentments and regrets and unresolved, you know, unhealed wounds. For me, I've got a bunch of those still looming in my business. Like I, I am creating being able to impact and share my knowledge and the knowledge of people that I love around me with more and more people. And the podcast was a big step in that direction. And five, well now six years ago, you know, but five years before I created it was the first time I said I was going to make a podcast. And for five years I was like, (sighs) because of my own unresolved and I could put every positive affirmation of it's my duty to put my good out into the world. And all of my goodness that's inside of me is a, you know, injustice that I'm not allowing it out. Like I could say what didn't freaking matter at all. So there's something distinct about choosing to honor our failures and choosing to honor our challenges. It's, it's on both sides. It's not only on the positive. It's also, I've been very honoring of my process and I've been very honoring of, you know, part of my stuff came from, you know, and it's interesting because Tanda Cook and I were in business together when we first started our practice in Bozeman, Montana. And Tanda is the first episode of this season of season three. Like she, Mm -hmm. she's kicked us off and she's a dear, dear friend of mine. And we went through some shit as business owners together. We, we essentially divorced, but we didn't have the structure and language of a divorce. So it actually, for me at least was a little messier. And we went through years of barely yeah, talking yeah. to each other and, and then working, I mean, we've worked it out, but there's some spots inside of that, that I notice is still unresolved for me. Like I'm right on this precipice of what I want to do next is going to require a team. I'm not doing it by myself. And I see like my own limitations of when I really do the play, the worst case scenario bit down, which is like an exercise you can actually do when you're looking at anything in your life, like you're worried about it. Okay. We'll play out. So for me, I look at like, okay, I have a really dear friend now who we've talked about going into business together. And I'm like, my brain, the unconscious part goes, yeah. Are you willing to sacrifice that friendship just to make some more money? Mm -hmm. You know, like, cause there's this evidence from my history 
that the likelihood yep. of us staying in business long-term and us not ending up in some sort of disagreement or upset about it, I'm like so afraid to sacrifice that friendship. I haven't even been willing to ask this person to actually legit on the court be like, when are we doing this? When are we starting? Because I have this concern about it. And it like totally yeah. blocks me from all kinds of possibilities if what I could be accomplishing in this podcast, in creating courses to go online in creating all kinds of other things other than my private practice. So like, I'm not just saying like, oh yeah, it's easy. Snap your fingers <laughs> and just say something new. Yeah. And you're going to have this whole new life. Like there are things I know, you know, for you, you even said it, you're like, no, you, you actually did take the time and you're willing to feel the emotions, you know, in the initial moment when your dad died, you know, it was six hard, long months. And when your business ended, you cried your eyes out for a couple of days. And you, I remember you telling me, you were like, I'm going to be upset and pissed about this for two days. That's what I'm giving myself. And then I'm over it. That's it. That's all I'm giving myself. But the there business. were also moments where like emotions yeah. would come back up and then you'd look at them again. You know, you're not ignoring for that. Sure. We're not saying that, but it's, it's like, what do you want to say about this event in your life and how do you want it to live for you? Yeah, I remember this is a, a good one as far as that goes. So I did. So I went to dinner with my dad on a Thursday. He was really sick. We thought he had the flu. He had had surgery a little while ago on a hernia, but my dad was the guy who was like, I'll go to the hospital when it's dead. That's what my dad would say his whole life. So my dad had a, a torn um, hamstring. And he didn't go to the hospital for two months. So my dad walked around with a torn hamstring for two months, super bruised, destroyed. And I actually found a voice memo on his phone after he passed of the recording of when he went to the doctor. And the doctor was like, wait, you've been walking around on this for two months? And he was like, I can't perform surgery on that. I'll find somebody else. But I might know. And they found somebody else. So they did the surgery. So we go to dinner, sushi downtown, or not downtown, it's always... He has a Vegas role. I'll never forget this. He couldn't eat. He didn't eat any of it. Just super sick. And so he went back to the hotel that he and my mom were staying at. And then I left the next day for Scottsdale because it was my birthday and I was spending it with my friends. On Friday, they're like, hey, your dad's really sick. We're going to take him to the hospital on Saturday. On Saturday, he goes in and he had this black thing on his face. They didn't know what it was. And so they took him to do a biopsy. They put him under... He had complications and he was in critical condition from Saturday. I flew back Saturday. He was, it, it just got worse and worse and worse. Every once in a while we'd have this thing, but I was like, I think I'm going to lose my dad. And then Monday morning. So it was crazy. Sunday night, the last thing my dad said to me was happy birthday. I have this thing that I'm making up about it. that My dad thought that was my birthday and he waited to die until he thought it wasn't my birthday. So the next day, it's like 7.30 in the morning. They're like, he's on dialysis and it's not going well. So the doctor's having the conversation with me and my brother and my mom and my sisters. And, hey, it's time. Like, what would he want? I was like, <laughs> unplug him from that effing thing. That is not, my dad would kill us. He would be so upset. So we go, <laughs> it's crazy. We walk out of that room and within five minutes of that, they hadn't done anything my dad passed. I always tell everybody it was my dad's last F you. Like, you're not going to tell me what to do and you're not going to make me. <laughs> right. But then also I'm like, you know what? My dad didn't want my mom to have to do that. Yeah. And he knew. So my dad died and 
I remember crying in the corner. It's crazy. I was on the west side of this building at 8.20 in the morning, and I could see these rays of sun, like the sun was coming up over the West Mountains, which the sun doesn't rise in the west, it rises in the <laughs> east, which was a trip. And I'm not like a super woo-woo guy either, but I, I remember physically being like, oh, the sun's coming up, and I didn't think about it, and I'm looking at my phone, and it's like 8.45, whatever it is now, and it's ding, happy birthday, ding, I hope this is the best day of your life, ding. Oh, I'm happy with like 35 text messages oh, and I'm gosh. crying and the tears yeah. are streaming down my face and all of these happy birthday. We love you. I hope everything's great because nobody knew. And I looked out the window again and I thought, okay, this is going to go one of two ways. Every year from now on, I'm going to hate my birthday because it's the day my dad died. And I'm going to be like, this is the day my dad died. This is the worst day of my life. And every day on my birthday, I'm going to be suffering or I can make something else up about it. And in that moment, looking at my phone, crying, sun coming up on the west side. Of the, <laughs> the mountains that it doesn't do. I said, yeah, I said, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. That would dishonor my father. So every year from here on out, I'm going to honor my dad on my birthday. I get to honor the man who gave me, uh, gave me birth as well as my birth myself. And that's the last two years what I've done. The next year was my 40th birthday. I took my friends and my entire family to Hawaii. We woke up on my birthday. We did shots of tequila at 8.35 in the morning. We read poems about my dad. We celebrated my birthday that night. We laughed. We played. We had a good time. And now I get to celebrate my father every year on my birthday and just remember his great life and the great life he gave me and who he raised me as a man and all the gifts he gave me through my life and all of it. That's, that's the decision I made. But look, it was a choice. I didn't, I didn't have to be empowered about it. I could have been just as disempowered. I just chose the chose this other way because it empowered me. And I, I love that story about it. And when people are like, oh my, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Your dad died on your birthday. I'm like, he had to die on a certain day. I'm glad he did it on my birthday because now I get to celebrate him, you know? And that's healing for me. That's, that's another level of honoring people. And my dad, I know my dad would be proud of that's what I made up. I know my dad would look down and go, that a boy, that a boy. That's what, that's what he'd want for me. So I want to honor my dad and what he'd want for me. And it's that way in business. And look, my last business, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. And now I'm in business with one of the 50 richest people under 50. He's the best mentor I've ever met. I went from being in business with somebody I was in, you know, constant strife with legal battles to a man that's semi-famous has coached the best people in the world and he's my business partner. And then literally when I got divorced, he checked on me every single day, said, I'm praying for you. I love you. I hope you're doing well. I mean, I would trade that last business making millions of dollars a year in one second right now to be where I'm at starting over again with the people that I'm in business with one, 100%. If you're like, Hey Jared, you can go back. You can be running that $20 million business. You can make millions of dollars a year. You can even fix all your mistakes you made that had the business go that way and have all of it right now. Do you want to trade? Do you want to trade the millions for what you're doing now? And I'd be like, no, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Jared, you could fix your marriage and have it all be perfect and go back. Do you want to do that? No, thank you. I'll take the lessons I've learned. I'll take the human being that I get to be now. I'll take who I am now. I'll take all of that. Just how I view my life. Because guess what? You can't go back anyway, so you may as well be empowered about how it went. <laughs> uh -huh. So, yeah, thanks for saying all that.
Yeah. I, I mean, we could keep saying the same thing now from here on out, but I think that pretty much nails it. Pretty much it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. Insert my comments into every situation I deal with. Pretty much how I personally deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. This, I knew it was going to be awesome. And it was, this was incredible conversation, Jared. I appreciate you so much and sharing your just heart so vulnerably and your life and all the things you've been through. Like it's a super big deal for us to, you know, all of us going through all different versions of whatever, you know, there's been, it's been a hell of a last 12 months that the 2020 that is now behind us, but like, yeah, yeah, you know, for lots of people, massive life changes have happened. And I know a lot of people have, you know, inside this incredibly sad at one level reality we've been in. I mean, I, I personally just got really struck when we hit the 400,000 deaths from COVID that just there's something about that just really rocked my world. Like I, I don't know. It's not like I didn't know we were at 399, <laughs> but there right, just right. Was like, it just, it did yeah. something to me about that, the reality of it. And also the reality that like, we're, it's not like that's the number we're going to land at. We're not done, you know? And um, so yeah, I'm really yeah. aware And I have had many, many, many people in my life say what a transformationally empowering year this last year has been and reconnecting to family and spending time with their partners and their spouses and reevaluating what really matters. You know, like I dealt with chronic fatigue syndrome and I stand by that's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I don't know that I would have ever really, really given up being a workaholic until my body demanded there was no way. (laughs) Like, I don't know that I would have. I, I think it kind of required this and I have so much enjoyment and appreciation of my day-to-day life now. And I used to be able to blow through weeks at a time with 16 hour work days and not even think twice about it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just, my body is like, I'm sorry, you will stop and smell the roses. Damn it. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Here we are. Yeah. So yeah. Killer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Until we get to do it again. Can't wait. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you to today's guest, Jared Bringhurst, for his no bullshit stand for personal responsibility. Are you ready to take on your own health? I'm now accepting new clients for 2021. Contact me at sarahmarshallnd.com or Instagram at sarahmarshallnd. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Support and spread the word by leaving us a review on your favorite platform so we can heal our world. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. We'll see you next time.